0: Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast you can through patreon.com slash Canada X, that's E-H-X. Every dollar you give helps keep the podcast going, and you can support it for as little as $3 a month. Canada has a long history of amazing women, who have helped to change the country and the world in many ways. Many notable politicians, entertainers, writers, artists, and scientists. Canadian women have helped to make Canada the country it is today. One of the most notable women in our history though, and one who deserves an entire movie unto herself, is the Queen of the Hurricanes herself, Elsie McGill. The first woman in Canada to receive a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering, and likely the first woman in the world to earn an aeronautical engineering degree, her designs and expertise would be instrumental in the Second World War. Before we get to that, Let's look at her life before the war. Born in Vancouver on March 27, 1905, her father was James Henry McGill, a lawyer and part-time journalist, while her mother was Helen Gregory McGill, a journalist and the first female judge in British Columbia history. Her education as a child was far from ordinary. She was homeschooled in a formal setting and received drawing lessons from iconic Group of Seven artist, Emily Carr and swimming lessons from Joe Forte, the first lifeguard in Vancouver's history. She would later attend George Secondary School and enter the University of British Columbia at the age of 16. Her mother was a supporter of women's suffrage and this would influence McGill into a career in engineering. She would graduate from the University of Toronto in 1927. In talking about her life in the University of Toronto she would say in 1940, My presence in the University of Toronto's engineering classes in 1923 certainly turned a few heads. Although I never learned to fly myself, I accompanied pilots on all test flights, even the dangerous first flight, of any aircraft I worked on. During the summers while she was in school, she would work in machine shops to repair electric motors. Just before she graduated, she was diagnosed with polio and told she would need a wheelchair for the rest of her life. She refused this diagnosis and learned to walk by supporting herself with three strong metal canes. Very independent, she refused to stop driving her Ford Roadster, choosing to lift her bad leg with her hands to push in the clutch. Once graduated, she would go on to work in Pontiac, Michigan and it was during that time the company she worked for began to make aircraft. This pushed her interest into aeronautics. She began to take part-time graduate studies in aeronautical engineering at the University of Michigan beginning in 1927. In 1929 she became the first woman in the world to be awarded a master's degree in aeronautical engineering. In 1934 McGill began to work at Fairchild Aircraft's operations as an assistant aeronautical engineer. And in 1938 she became the first woman elected to corporate membership of the Engineering Institute of Canada. By this point, she was making a name for herself in the field. That same year, she published a paper titled Simplified Performance Calculations for Aeroplanes that earned her high praise. She also participated in a six-part series for the CBC called The Engineer in Wartime. She would eventually become the Chief Aeronautical Engineer at the Canadian Car and Foundry, becoming the first woman in the world to hold that position. It was there she began to design and test a new aircraft called the Maple Leaf Trainer 2, While the plane never entered service in the Commonwealth, 10 were sold to Mexico. The plane was the first aircraft designed and produced by a woman, and on the first flight of the plane in 1939, she sat as a passenger. Soon after that, the company was selected to build the Hawker Hurricane fighter aircraft for the Royal Air Force. With that contract, the factory in Thunder Bay, or Fort William as it was known at the time, went from 500 workers to 4,500, half of which were women. McGill's task was to streamline operations in the production line as the factory expanded. She designed solutions that would allow the aircraft to operate in the winter, which included fitting the aircraft with skis and introducing de-icing controls. The first of the planes would fly in January of 1940 with her modifications in place. The hurricane was slower but more maneuverable than the Spitfire in the battle, and would account for shooting down of 1,500 German bombers and planes in the Battle of Britain accounting for 60% of the kills. She would retool that entire plant to produce 60,000 different parts, which were designed to be interchangeable so that mechanics in the field could repair the aircraft easily. By the time the production line had shut down, 1,400 hurricanes had been produced. For her successful run in making the planes, she played a vital role in protecting the United Kingdom during the Battle of Britain, and she would earn the nickname of the Queen of the Hurricanes. In an article in the Engineering Journal published in 1940, McGill would state, The challenge of winning the war was thrown directly to the Canadian engineer. We are working not just for the satisfaction of winning the fight on our side, but for the glory of hastening peace to the world. Her designs for cold weather didn't just help in the Battle of Britain, they also aided the Russians in their own battles with Germany, who needed those modifications. Cancar then picked up a contract to build the Curtis SB2C Helldivers, but the continued minor changes from Curtis Wright and the US Navy meant that the full-scale production took a long time to get started. Bill Soulsby, the work manager, and McGill were soon dismissed from the company despite not being at fault for the delays. Two weeks after, in 1943, they would marry. The couple would then move to Toronto that year and set up an aeronautical consulting business. In 1946, McGill became the first woman to serve as a technical advisor for International Civil Aviation Organization, and in 1947, she became the first woman to chair a UN committee when she chaired the United Nations Stress Analyst Committee. After breaking her leg in 1953, McGill took the opportunity to sort through her mother's papers and published a book about her mother called My Mother, The Judge, a biography of Judge Helen Gregory McGill, which was published in 1955. Also, in 1953, she was one of only 50 people and the only woman to have her portrait in the Gervart Gallery of Canadian Executives. Inspired by her mother and grandmother and their work with women's suffrage, she then began devoting more of her time towards women's rights throughout the 1960s. From 1962 to 1964, she served as the president of the Canadian Federation of Business and Professional Women's Clubs, In 1967 she was named to the Royal Commission of the Status of Women in Canada and co-authored the report published by the Commission in 1970. She was vocal in her beliefs that a woman should have control over her own body and believed that abortion was a private matter between a woman and her doctor, and this was at a time when abortion was illegal under the Canadian Criminal Code. Here is McGill answering questions from callers to cross-country checkup on December 13, 1970 following the release of the Commission's report.
2: You're on the air. What did you like uh, to say? Good, uh, good evening, sir. I'd like to say a few words uh, on the status of women. The report that was issued a few days ago. Carry right on. Uh, what I'd like to mention, to uh, to to what I know and what I've read about, it seems to me there's a deliberate attempt in this report to downgrade the work, the mother stays at home, or the housewife that stays at home and tries to look after her family and her house and her husband. I think there's too much emphasis put on this report uh, regarding trying to brainwash women to put them out of the home and out into the working world. And I'd like to add to this point. Right now, there's a terrible lot of people out of work, particularly men, and the women should take this into consideration to stay home as much as possible because the unemployment list is growing. Miss McGill, what do you say to that?
1: Well, I think there's some misunderstanding about the idea that we are trying, uh, considering downgrading the work of women in the home. The fact is that the commission thinks that the work done by women in their homes is so important that it it objects, for example, for them being called dependents. As you all know, as we all know, they're called dependents under the, um, uh, under the Income Tax Act, for example. and. Now, it's very obvious that a child who requires care and uh, attention is a dependent, but uh, the woman who provides that care uh, and looks after a family is hardly a dependent. And I don't think that the commission is downgrading her at all. In fact, I think they're uh, uh, considering that her work is extraordinarily important and uh, uh, don't care for the present attitude toward her.
2: You did, you did recommend a very substantial increase in family allowances, didn't you? Was this with the idea of encouraging women to stay home or making it more possible for them to stay home?
1: Well, our attitude was that, um, uh, the, uh, that we should be neutral in the matter. We neither uh, say that it is necessary for a woman to go out and work, nor do we say that it is necessary that she stay home. We wish to be very neutral in the matter. We have advocated uh, that... Um, uh, a certain amount, some money be provided in order uh, for daycare services, which will permit her to uh, sup- allow her children, place her children in uh, daycare services if she, for any purpose of which she thinks. But also, we don't just limit that, as some people uh, would think, to the working woman. We provide that, that uh, same tax allowance. Be uh, provided to um, to uh, the uh, the mothers as well, so that if they choose to uh, look after their children at home, they're not being discriminated against. Mr. Now, to me, this is not downgrading a woman's work at home at all.
2: Mr. Pelcher, does that make you feel any better? Be pardon? Does that make you feel any better? No, it doesn't. It certainly does not. You're still not satisfied, eh? I'm not satisfied. No, I'm not satisfied with your lady speaker. Okay, thanks a lot for calling. We'll try another call. Hello.
3: I think uh, these women, I think this woman's uh, liberation movement is nothing but a bunch of idle, disgruntled women. Uh, You know, I am a woman and I am against it. Many of the things they stand for are disgrace, such as abortion and giving women salaries to stay at home why this would lead into exorbitant uh, taxation i um, i i i think that's the trouble with the world today you know uh, the men have are, are losing their place uh, such as as the head of the household uh, like we have so many juvenile delinquency is because uh, the fathers have lost control uh,
2: miss mcgill do you want to comment
3: as, as being head of the I, I believe in women being equal, being paid equal for equal work, and uh, being the helpmeets to men. But I don't think I'd like to see them being the masters of men.
2: Miss Miguel,
1: I think that the uh, commission's attitude toward this was that men too have to be freed from some of these stereotypes. Uh, I quite agree that, uh, and uh, the commission quite agrees that men. Uh, have a right to stay at home more and to uh, take care of their children and to have and have a uh, a greater influence on their families and uh, the commission would like to see this happen too you know
2: did, did did you reach the conclusion in your hearings that women's rights are simply a part of general human rights is there or is there something special about them
1: oh no oh we we oh we <laughs> certainly very quickly came to that we see that the the problem of the status of women which is perhaps just the place of women in society we saw as a part a part of in full relation to just the democratization of canadian society you see men have sought freedom and so do women but uh, this isn't just a negative concept of freedom not it's not just freedom from restraint that people are looking for it's a freedom as a positive thing uh, to shape our own environment and to be in cooperation with others, and to take part and participate in the very important decision-making, decision-making that affects her, her and her community. And uh, they, it's part of a, of a large problem and grows out of it, uh, which I think becomes perfectly obvious if you uh, consider history and consider the context.
0: Also in 1967, she was presented with the Centennial Medal. She also rejected being called a woman engineer, seeing herself as an engineer only. After seeing an article in 1970 that stated women should be trained as engineering aides, she then began to see the challenges for women in engineering on account of their sex and realized that she too had dealt with discrimination in her career. She then became a vocal critic of discrimination within the profession and was a strong advocate for women in engineering. McGill would receive the Order of Canada in 1971. And throughout the 1970s she would receive several awards for her career. In 1975 she would receive the Amelia Earhart Medal and in 1979 the Ontario Association of Professional Engineers presented her with a gold medal. In addition she was given an honorary doctorate from the University of Toronto in 1973, the University of Windsor in 1976 and Queen's University and York University in 1978. She would pass away from a short illness on November 4, 1980. In 1983, she was inducted into the Canadian Aviation Hall of Fame, and in 1992, she was a founding inductee into the Canadian Science and Engineering Hall of Fame. In 2016, she was one of the five finalists to be on the Canadian $10 bill. In 2019, it was announced that the Lakehead District Schools would name their school the Elsie McGill Public School, which will open in September of 2020. Now, Despite her role in aeronautical engineer, she would say the following about her life. I have received many engineering awards, but I hope I will always be remembered as an advocate for the rights of women and children. Information comes from Wikipedia, the Canadian Encyclopedia, Google Arts and Culture, CBC, and CanadianFlight.org. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Canadian History X. If you did, please give a rating and review. Again, you can support the podcast through Patreon by going to patreon.com CanadaX. You can see hundreds of articles on Canada's history on my website by going to canadax.com And you can email me any questions you have by emailing craig at canadax.ca. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.